Hello and welcome to Your Life Rocks, the podcast that equips working Christian moms to create balance, clear the chaos, and reach goals in all areas of your life. My name is Jenny Stemmerman, your host and fellow working mom. I am so glad that you're here to hang out with me today. This is episode 94 of the Your Life Rocks podcast. If this is your very first time tuning into the show, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Here at Your Life Rocks, we define life balance by setting and moving towards goals in eight different areas of life. You will notice at the front of this podcast episode, in brackets, it says finances, and that is one of those eight areas, and that is what we're diving into today. Now, you'll notice that this episode is a bit longer than our typical episodes, but that is because it is so jam-packed with a lot of really great content for you, and I just could not cut it short. So if you don't have time to listen to this podcast in its entirety right now, that is okay because you know what? The week is long. So feel free to pause when you need to and come back and finish the episode because our special guest that we have today shares some amazing tips some things that you can really apply to your finances to help you reach your goals. Just since our interview, I've been applying some of these things into my life and it's been a big impact. So I'm excited for you to learn from our guest, Erin Odom. She's the author of More Than Just Making It, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated. She's also the founder of The Humbled Homemaker, which is a blog dedicated to grace-filled living designed to equip and encourage mothers in the trenches. And let's face it, whether you're a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, a work-from-home mom, or something in the middle of all of that, we're all homemakers. And her new book is all about equipping you for your financial goals. Now, in our conversation, Aaron and I talk about spenders and savers because let's face it, our finances are not a silo. They very much overflow into our marriage, into our careers, into our parenthood. All of that is all compounded into the way that we manage our finances. And so you, whether you're a saver, whether you're a spender, Erin has some really great tips for you in order to make sure that you have a healthy and a high-functioning relationship with your financial goals. Now, before we get into the interview, I do want to mention that this podcast episode is sponsored by Audible. Now, you hear me talk about books all the time, and obviously, we have a great author on today. Books are the way that we grow. They're the ways that we can really equip ourselves. And as busy moms, trust me, I know. I don't have a whole lot of time to sit down and read a book. But I've been a member of Audible for years, guys, and to be able to have that credit that I know is coming every single month where I can go and pick out a book that I want to listen to, and I'll be honest, sometimes I listen to three or four books a month because podcasts are great, but I love to just plug in my earphones when I'm cleaning the house or when I'm taking a bath or when I'm driving or working out and really diving into gaining some knowledge from a book. Now, here's a cool thing about getting started with Audible. When you go to audibletrial.com forward slash yourliferocks, not only do you get to try the service for free for 30 days, but you actually get a free Audible book. How cool is that? A free book for trying it out for 30 days. And if you decide you want to stick with it, awesome. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash yourliferocks. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into my interview with Erin. Yes. I, yeah, I have a hard time with it even from home because yeah, I mean, I work from home, but it's like, I feel like 
they're downstairs with the babysitter and I should be with them. It's just, it's the constant tension of I should be devoting more time to my work or I should be devoting more time to my kids. But I think every mom struggles with that in some regard, you know, and then stay at home moms feel like uh, maybe I should be creating more income for my family, which I talk about in my book, creating more income, whether you need to get a job or if you want to create more income from home, different ways to do it. So I understand that tension. It's hard. Yeah. And I really honestly believe, because now that I'm on the other side where I am doing the podcast and working from home a lot more, it's much harder to create that balance for yourself when you're working from home than when you're working outside the home. Oh my goodness. Because you can't flip the switch, you know, like when you walk out the door, it's like a switch is flipped and now you're in a different mode. You really can't. And you know, before I had my um, six month old and I would drop my kids off at school most days and go to like a coffee shop or something. I wouldn't actually work in the house, even though I quote unquote worked from home. Um, or they would be with a babysitter when I was working and I would go to a coffee shop. And even doing that gave me a different kind of boundary than now that I have the baby at home and I'm nursing him. I am home 99% of the time. And I have felt more of that guilt, even though I'm in the same house with the kids, than I did when I um, dropped them off and I was at that different location. It's so a hard thing. It really is. And it's, it's hard to have that balance. Um, I think having, when you do work from home, making yourself have those set work times is really key to your productivity with your job, but also not having that guilt creep in, being able to be present when you have the time with the kids. Um, And it's almost like creating that boundary that is already created for you when you work a corporate job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when we talk about balance, especially, you know, here at Your Life Rocks, we talk about life balances, really setting and moving towards goals in all different areas of life. Talk to me about how you define life balance for you and your family. Because four kids and, you know, even though your blog is the humble homemaker, I mean, you're working Mm -hmm. a lot. So um, I will tell you when I first started blogging and it became our primary income source, I felt like I was going crazy at some point. Um, You know, my blog started out as a hobby and then it turned into our primary income about a couple years. I think after I was into it, I've been doing it for six and a half years now. My husband still taught, um, but the blog became our primary income source, if that makes sense. So there were times where um, I was so stressed out that I was really going into burnout mode and I felt like I was going crazy. I have the ENFP personality. Are you familiar with Myers-Briggs at all? A little bit. Like I okay. know like what my kids are and what I am, but like okay. that's it. <laughs> well, I think it's so important to know your personality and to know what means balance for your personality. So I'm really into personality typing, but my personality is the ENFP. And when you read up on my personality type, it says when you get stressed out, the ENFP starts to feel like they have some kind of terminal illness or something. <laughs> so <laughs> there's been times because, you know, people see the blog, but they don't know what goes on in the back end. And it's a very entrepreneurial um, gig. It, and it, 
it's never ending. And so there's been times where I've been working on a big project and I start to have like twitches and stuff. <laughs> and so one thing that helps me with my personality type know that I am not in balance is when all of a sudden I start to feel like something's wrong with me. And it's usually because I am so fatigued. I'm just not getting sleep and I'm getting burnout. And so my body starts to have physical symptoms of that. That's how I personally know. And also I personally know when I am with my kids. So work hours aside when I have that designated time when I'm supposed to be with my kids, but I'm still checking my phone and I'm still thinking about work. And this is the worst when I'm doing that and one of my kids climbs up in my lap and I start to resent them being in my lap. Mm. I know that I'm off balance at that point. And I'm also with my personality type, an all or nothing person. And so it is definitely hard for me to, I'm always thinking, it's hard for me to turn my brain off from those projects. And so I would say those are the signs to me that I'm out of balance. And there's only been one or two times since the baby was born where I started to feel that like resentment creeping in towards him. And it was just like, the Holy Spirit convicted me, like you were off balance. Like this is the child you prayed for. And, you know, I've given you this opportunity to make income for your family, but you were supposed to be with him right now, you know, whatever the situation was. And so those are some of the signs to me that I'm off balance. That is so good. And I love that you mentioned balance for your personality type, because like I always tell people, balance is going to be different for everybody and you, but you have to define it for you on what that looks like. So you can start working towards getting there. And I love that you really work that the Myers-Briggs personality type into that for you. I think that that's brilliant. Yeah, I really encourage your listeners, if they don't know their personality type, to find out about, find out what it is. And you could take the, the full test. I've taken it a couple times years and years ago. But you can also go to 16personalities.com and then find out what their personality is and read up on what does this personality um, gravitate towards when they're stressed out. And that can really help them know, okay, oh, I feel this way because I'm super stressed right now. And they might not even be able to pinpoint I'm stressed. But, you know, it started creeping in the other day with my book launch. And my mentor said, Aaron, stop for a minute. Just, I want you to solidify this feeling in your mind. This is you being stressed out. You don't even recognize it sometimes. So if your listeners could do that, I think that it would really add some, some riches to their personal and their professional life just to know, okay, this is stress. And these are some coping mechanisms for when I am stressed out. Yes. Yes. And we'll link to that in the show notes because I've actually had my 12 year old take the, the personality test and it changed the way I parent him now knowing his personality type and knowing what drives him and what frustrates him and all, you know, just all of those things. Like I can, can communicate better with him now knowing. So mm -hmm. anyone who has not yet dived into that world, I highly encourage that you do. And we'll link to that in the show notes page at yourliferocks.com. But Erin, we are here to talk about your new book, which I'm super excited to get my hands on. More than just making it, hope for the heart for the financially frustrated. Tell us a little bit more about your new book. Thank you so much for having me and talking about the book. So um, my book comes out September 5th, so it might be out by now by the time you go live. <laughs> and it is part memoir, part practical how-to on how our family made it on a low income during the recession. So there are practical financial tips for anyone regardless of income level. Um, but the 
the heartbeat of the book is memoir. It starts out with our family where I'm actually walking into the food stamps office to apply for food stamps. So not to uh, be a spoiler, but we ended up not qualifying, just overqualifying. But I, we ended up having um, WIC and um, Medicaid for our kids. It was an incredibly humbling time. Um, in the book, I talk about a lot of my pride. I was that very um, professionally minded person growing up. I was that straight A student. I was the valedictorian. I did really well in college and all that. And I never in a million years dreamed that we would have government aid to help survive um, during that time. So it was a very humbling process. So in the book, I talk about that. And I talk about how God really softened my heart, how he taught us to trust him, but also um, kind of the, the climactic point of the book is realizing that our family did not have enough money and figuring out a way that we could create more income for our family. And that's when my degree was in journalism. And so I'd always loved writing. I majored in journalism, minored in English, and um, I was freelancing for some newspapers at the time, but it was whenever we realized, okay, we really need to create some more money for our family that I could create a blog for, in, for income, a um, for-profit blog, and that that could be a way for our family to climb out of the low-income position that we were in. And so um, my husband and I now run that together, but that whole journey is outlined in that book. But um, a lot of people who are reading it, the early readers are saying that it's really, um, that it kind of reads like a novel. That was kind of how I, um, I wanted it to read. So, because I feel like people identify so much with story and mm -hmm. so whether people have ever struggled financially or not, I want them to be able to almost feel like they're walking in my shoes with me. And, um, people who have struggled financially are saying that it's given them hope, which I praise God because that was my goal. But also people that have it are saying this is a book that everyone in the church needs to read because it helps um, people to have empathy for people that have struggled. And also my goal was to, whether they're struggling financially or maybe you're struggling in your marriage, because I do talk some in the book, our marriage was really struggling during that time. And I talk about that in the book. Um, I want people to realize that through Jesus, we have hope regardless of what our struggles are. Amen. So, you, you know, your frustration might be financial. Your frustration might be uh, just time and feeling the craziness of being a really busy mom, you know, but whatever the source of your frustration, that there is hope and that you can be encouraged. And I have a lot of practical um, tips on how to save money and um, how to curb spending. And so those are things that I think anybody can use regardless of income level. I grew up in a um, middle class, solid, probably upper middle class home. And my um, dad was always in the corporate world. They always had plenty. Um, but my parents had both grown up. They, they would say, and the, the first draft, I said that they were poor. And they said, well, why don't you change it to, we were in large families with not a lot of money. So my dad was one of five kids. My mom was one of six. And they never had extra. So when they grew up, um, you know, my, my mom was a pastor's kid. So they didn't have anything extra, but they learned to live frugally. So even though my dad had a very good job, he was like a VP of a corporate hospital system. 
they still live frugally. They still, they sent us to Christian school. That was their, a big life goal of theirs. And they sent us all to college. My sister and I, they sent us to a Christian college and my brother went to, he wanted to go to a state school, but we were able to graduate college debt-free, go to Christian school. My parents achieved their dream um, because they used their money very wisely. And so my book, I want those money-saving tips to be for people regardless of their income level. And what was really neat, seeing God's hand woven throughout my whole life, I grew up upper middle class. During the recession, our family was low income. And I was able to use those frugal living tips that my parents had raised me with to, to survive, to go from barely surviving to the name of the book is more than just making it. I love it. I love it. And I, one thing I love so much about this book is that it does have those practical tips. Cause that's what we're all about here at your life rocks. Cause as a working mom, sometimes we're just like, just give me the meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just need to know what to do to kind of hit this reset button. And especially in our finances, because uh-huh. it seems so overwhelming. I think sometimes, uh-huh. um, I mean, it can, you know, with trying to figure out like, okay, where am I supposed to be saving? Do I make a budget? Um, how do I control my spending? Because for a lot of us, you know, spending money is somewhat of an outlet sometimes. And Uh it can be a a big tension in a marriage when one person is a spender, one person's a saver. So talk to us a little bit about this, because I know you say one of the things that you, that you say, um, which I am a spender. So I really love this (laughs) is when you say savers aren't always the heroes, (laughs) right? Because I'm the spender in the family. Okay. So, um, One thing that I really got convicted me of when I was writing the book. So my husband's a spender, I'm the saver. And maybe sometimes two spenders marry each other. Sometimes two savers marry each other. I think it's actually kind of neat when a spender and a saver are married because there's a balance there. So even though my husband's a spender and I'm the saver, it doesn't make me the hero because I have learned from my husband that number one, sometimes it's worth spending more money. You know, if you have two items and one of them's cheaper, it could be that that item is not as high of quality. So the spender might be right and wanting to spend more money if the item is going to last longer. And that's something he taught me very early on in our marriage. And I've seen it be true with various things. And it's one of those things where it actually is a better steward of your money in that instance to spend more money for something that's going to last longer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But also my husband is very generous. He's a giver. And I have noticed that with other spenders that he will look at somebody that has a need or he'll just like, even for our kids for their birthdays and he'll want to spend more money on them that all want to spend and his love language is gifts. And so it all goes together. And so he being a spender has taught me to have a more generous heart where I would want to hoard it all away and, and, you know, save it for a rainy day. He's taught me that God has provided for our needs. He can use us to help provide for other people's needs and even some wants, and we can trust him to provide, and we don't have to hoard it all away. So the, the saver's not always the hero. There are qualities of both the spender and the saver. Um, I do believe that um, for people who want to or need to curb their spending, there are some ways to do that. Also, I do want to say, I did a lot of research when I was writing the book on 
you know, why do we become overspenders? You know, why was, am I naturally a saver? Is it because of the way my parents raised me because they're both savers or is it something else? So for years I did assume that it was a person's upbringing that made them a saver or a spender. And it seemed true for me and my husband. His parents are both spenders and my parents are both savers. My parents would borderline on, and I think they're okay with me saying that. Their friends tease them that they're cheap. When I was, <laughs> and my husband actually, sometimes we say, you know, I would say we are, we try to be good stewards of our, of our money, but um, sometimes we will spend a little bit more money than my parents will. And sometimes they're like, I think they might be judging me. <laughs> but um, I, when I was doing my research for the book, I learned that some psychologists actually believe that people are born with a chemical function in their brains that predisposes them either to spending or saving. Interesting. It really is fascinating, Jenny. So while nurture might play a role, you know, your family of origin, it doesn't mean that nature has no impact. And I have seen this with me and my husband, even when we go grocery shopping. So my husband, sometimes he'll go grocery shopping. I do most of the grocery shopping, but he could spend a cart full of groceries and it's not a big deal for him. If I get a whole cartload of groceries, it's like I start to feel like my stress level is increasing. If I feel like we're creeping close to the grocery budget, you know, only having a little bit left in it. And it's funny because it's actually, it's not like frivolous spending or anything. It's stuff that we really need, but it's like, as I, if I see money being spent, it's like, I have this bad feeling inside. And so I, I am really believing uh, what these psychologists believe is that chemical book in my brain, it's telling me this is not a good thing. And in my husband's brain, it's giving him some euphoric feelings. So it's insula. It's an area of the brain which becomes active when someone experiences something disagreeable. So I think it may be true that when I spend money, I have that area of the brain becoming active. You know, one thing I did learn, though, and one thing I would like to say to anyone out there who does struggle with overspending, I don't think this is an excuse to overspend. But for those of us that are savers and maybe our spouse is a spender and sometimes we struggle with that, it kind of helps us to have more grace for people who struggle with overspending. They don't necessarily have those same areas of their brain becoming active that we do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what overspending necessarily is. Like, is that, are you talking like when you define overspending, are you talking like beyond what's the budget, like beyond what the intention is, or are you talking like full on like addiction shopping? You know, I think it can be both. Um, I would say if you, so in my book, I talk a lot about, do you have a spending problem or an income problem because anyone that is financially frustrated usually they have one of those or it could be a little bit of a combination but if you for example get to the end of the month and you feel you get paid once a month or if you get paid every two weeks and you get to the end of your pay period and you don't have a lot of money left you need to look at what you spent have you only spent on the necessities if so then you may have an income problem you may not have enough money simply for all your bills and your food and whatnot if you have a spending problem 
maybe you need to look, have you spent on a lot of things that aren't necessary? And is that what is causing your financial frustration? So for example, I don't think it's bad or sinful to go get like a manicure and a pedicure. Okay. I went and took my, uh, one of my daughters the other day for a mommy daughter date. We went and got manicures and pedicures. But if you are doing that, you know, every single week and maybe you're, you know, going shopping every weekend and you are just so financially frustrated. I think that you might struggle a little bit more with spending because those are things that aren't necessary. So you either need to figure out, okay, I really like getting weekly manicures because that helps alleviate my stress. It's one thing I could do for myself. Okay, that's fine. But if you don't have enough money to do it, then you need to figure out a way to satisfy that desire in another way. Like maybe let's go to every other week or what is a way that I can create some more income so that I can have that thing that I really want. Does that make sense? Mm, yep. Absolutely. Now, for some people, it is a legitimate disorder. And, you know, I talk on my blog, a very uh, hallmark uh, philosophy in my life. Like one of my core values is giving other people grace. Okay. So just because one person doesn't struggle with spending, it doesn't mean that we have to look at someone and say, well, I'm the hero. I, I'm a saver because people do, some people struggle with a legitimate spending disorder. So also one thing I learned that compulsive shopping, it isn't just limited to those who have money. There are low income people that also struggle with overspending. And for those people, it may be that they compulsively go to secondhand shops and yard sales and they are compulsively buying things that they do not need that they really do not have the money for and they may be suffering from other psychological illnesses they might have mood anxiety or eating disorders that are coupled with this compulsive shopping disorder yeah it's interesting because there are people in my life people in my family that i see and, and it, it's it's not even so much like they're low income but they just don't have a lot of extra income but they're the people that every weekend they're out at garage sales or they're every, you know, paycheck going to like the dollar store and getting just a bunch of what I consider junk, but they yes. love. And I've always wondered why, but this makes so much sense that there, that there might be like an underlying thing going on, mm -hmm. that they're just filling that void. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about my grandmother a little bit in the book and I, I love my grandmother. She's with Jesus now. Um, she, I, I really uh, give her praise in my book because she was a single mom. Of, she had five kids, but when her two youngest were teenagers, my grandfather left her and she was alone with the kids. She had to learn some way to create income for her family. She had worked part-time off and on at the post office. You know, this was in the seventies when he left her. Um, so she had to learn as virtually just a stay-at-home mom for all these years. What am I going to do to create more income? So she actually made a job for herself out of going to different yard sales and garage sales and buying things and then reselling them, which I give her a lot of praise for. And I think maybe I got some of my entrepreneurial spirit for, from her. But I also grew up where I wasn't allowed to ever spend the night in her house because she was a legitimate hoarder. Um, she had just stuff all over her house and it wasn't safe for us to spend the night with her. And I look back and I, I think, man, you know, if I had been, you know, 36 years old, then I would have gotten grandma help because I think she probably was suffering from maybe one of these disorders and also just, um, 
the grief of having her husband leave her. And so sometimes it could be one of those things where, you know, maybe something in your marriage or another kind of grief or trial could trigger one of these things where, you know, we talk about being out of balance. Maybe the stress from work is so intense and, you know, I'm not in the corporate world. I have my own business from home, but my dad, you know, I grew up with him being in corporate America and it's, I know, very stressful at times. I knew what stress meant early on because he would come home from work every day and talk about the stress of his job. And it's one of those things where um, that compulsive shopping can become an outlet for that stress. And that might be one of those signs that life isn't in balance right now. Mm, Yeah, that's good. So something else that I think we um, do with shopping is that we might be seeking to fill a void. And Jeremiah 2.13 says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So I think that all of us, at some point in time, we have things that we try to put in our lives to fill a void in our lives that only God can fill. So for some people, it might be things that uh, the church looks at as more extreme. You know, it could be, you know, illicit sex, drugs, overuse of alcohol, but for others, it could be more subtle. It could be the thirst for attention. It could be the allure of achievement. And I think that achievement was one thing for me definitely in school growing up. And the other, another thing it could be that is more of a silent, more subtle area where we try to fill that void is the security and money. And that is one area where we might be trying to fill a space only meant for God. So one thing that God really taught me when I was writing the book that both excessive spending and extreme frugality, so there's the saver, those can both produce temporary highs and they both have potential to become idols if we don't keep them in check. I love that you mentioned that. And I want you to kind of get into some tips on, on reigning in that spending. But before you do, let's talk a little bit about that flip side of the of the extreme frugalness. What does that look like? Because I can kind of get um, the spending because I'm the spender, right? So I can understand that piece a little bit more. And for me, it's not like extreme spending. It's always like that little thing. Like in groceries, like food is for, like that's that's where I do my extra spending. It's like <laughs> you know, oh, well, we need food. So I'll, you know, it's okay to, to go a little over budget, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, or let's just eat out. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's one of my love languages to, I like to feed people, but I'm not a good cook. So I'll just take mm-hmm. you out to dinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> go to a nice dinner where they will serve you and you can get your favorite foods and you know, I can't afford it, but let's do it anyway. Like that's, yeah. that's where I overspend, mm-hmm. but help me understand a little bit on how filling this void comes into the frugality piece of it. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you really quickly, just so um, you and your listeners know, if you do struggle with eating out a lot, because our family does, and we, when we started creating more income, that was a big downfall for me. I have an entire chapter in the book called The Magic of Meal Planning, it, because that was the key for me. I mean, it's still the key. But when we talk about extreme frugality, for example, so, you know, I grew up frugal, and then during the period of our lives where we were living on a low income, there were things that I had to do. You know, I had to make everything from scratch. You know, um, we're talking when I made a birthday cake for my kids. My kids are gluten-free. I would make a birthday cake. I made the same cake every year out of garbanzo beans. So I literally would buy the dried beans. They were cheap. 
I had a grain mill. I would mill the beans into flour. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> wow. And then I would, you know, it was a hundred percent from scratch. I didn't even buy the flour. We couldn't afford the expensive gluten-free flour. But I believe that sometimes when you have more time than you have money, which is what we had back then, then that is the time where you need to be bare bones with everything while you are learning how to dig your way out of it, really, and create more income for your family. But if you have more money than time, and there's nothing wrong with that, it is okay to go buy that cake mix or... It's okay to hire somebody to come clean your house because, you know, one thing I've learned, we do have somebody come clean our house about once a month now and she does really a deep clean. And I really struggle with that at first, Jenny, because we're coming out of this, you know, I grew up in a very frugal family. My mother never had anybody come clean her house. So I could say, well, I am going to be so frugal and, you know, it's wrong for me to hire somebody to clean my house. But as working moms, that might be a better steward of your time for you to hire somebody to clean your house. And when you're being a good steward of your time, you're also being a good steward of your money. And so I think that's one of those things we can be too, too cheap and too frugal and drive ourselves crazy when we really cannot do it all. And if God has blessed us with enough income to hire some help, we can do that. And it's a way of really blessing other people too. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the, the biggest point I always make for other women who are kind of struggling with that piece of, do I, I know I need to hire someone to come into the house and help me clean, but mm -hmm. I just, I just can't wrap my head around it. You know, it's a way of blessing other people because there's people out there who are praying for that kind of an opportunity to be able to earn that income. And so you're mm -hmm. really just being able to bless those people. That is so true, Jenny. And that's one thing when I realized that it was like a light bulb moment. One of the first people we had that came to clean our house was um, a friend of mine. And we, we became friends, really, we were acquaintances through her cleaning my house. And her husband had lost his job and he had a really good job. He, he was making a very good income for the family, but he ended up losing his job and they were, he was unemployed for quite a while and she was doing everything to help the family out. And that's what she did. And it was such a blessing to her family. And I've realized now that that can be, um, you know, a blessing to both families, your family and somebody else's family to hire somebody to help you with your kids or to help clean your house or to help run errands or anything, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's important because it's a way of loving on other people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to ask you another question and this is, um, more of just like justifying my own thought process. And I just want to hear your thoughts on it. And it might be completely different than mine, but with my husband being the saver, sometimes I, you know, feel like my job is, is his wife. Like he's my number one ministry to like help him lean on God more. So like he will stress out about money and how much money is in the bank and talk about how we need to save more and um, and rightly so on some of those things for sure. But then I also like will push into him and be like, you know, we just need to trust God to provide. <laughs> we just need to trust God that the money will be there and not stress out about it. So <laughs> a little bit about, um, in fact, I have a friend who uh, is also a bit of a, a spender. She's a little bit more of a shopper than me, but we even like send memes back and forth like, right, it's okay. Go to the mall. That's good. He wants us to be happy. Anyway, that's a side note. That's more of a joke. Not really. But talk to me a little bit about on, on for that saver, that extreme saver, like how much of that really plays into that void of trusting God with our finances? 
Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, Jenny, I think it's a really good question. I think it's a really delicate tension. I mean, it's a balance too, because there are times where, I mean, even the other day, and I talk, I'm very open in the book and my husband read my whole book and he was fine with everything I said, you know, it, it's still a source of frustration for us sometimes. Like we still will have some tension with him spending or me saving. And, you know, the other day he was trying to bless me and he went to the store grocery shopping for me because he knows I'm under deadlines. I've got a lot on my plate. And, um, he came back home and I said, you just spent almost our whole grocery budget and we're only halfway through the month. And it was one of those things that I had to come back later and apologize to him because he was trying to bless me. He was trying to serve me by doing that grocery shopping. And he actually was trying to get enough food to last us for the rest of the month, you know, with just maybe another one or two um, produce runs. But it's one of those things where I had to stop later in that day and ask the Lord to forgive me, ask him to forgive me. And I had to realize sometimes this is an issue of me not trusting God. Part of me almost felt like the Holy Spirit saying, do you not trust me to provide? Because, you know, have I not shown you that when you were barely making it, I provided for you? No, you didn't always have everything you wanted, but you had everything you needed. And I do think that extreme frugality, that part of it can come from not a hundred percent trusting God to provide for everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's really what I, and, and again, I'm looking at this through like the spender lens, not the saver lens. And maybe I, I trust a little too much in that. And I need to kind of rein back and be a better steward of what <laughs> God has given. Um, and so that's where that balance is. Right. And that's why it's so perfect that my husband and I are married because we can balance each other out there, but I totally get it. And there are times that I stress out about it and I feel that same whisper in my heart of the Holy Spirit, just saying, just trust, just mm-hmm. trust. Mm-hmm. I think that that's so good. I think that there's a difference in, like we were just talking about, taking some of your money, hiring help. I I had to learn that sometimes it's okay to, to, to spend that money. And I really do feel the whisper of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to take care of you because there are times where I want to still live. Like I still want to pinch our pennies like we did when we were low income, but it was so stressful um, to have to pinch our pennies until they were bleeding where my husband's, my husband will remind me sometimes, Aaron, we're not living on a low income anymore. God's provided. And so it really is a great balance when one of you is a spender and one is a saver, even though there is going to be frustration sometimes with both of you, you know, it's, it really is a beautiful thing when you can balance each other out and when you can both learn to trust God more. That's awesome. And I encourage anyone who's listening to this and you kind of struggle with either one of those sides to just pray and really invite the Holy Spirit into that frustration moment with you and your spouse or even within your own heart around finances. But I know, Erin, you have some tips for us too, especially for us spenders out there, people like me, maybe it's um, big impulse buys or just small impulse buys, but what tips do you have to kind of rein in the spending a little bit? Well, there's several tips that you can do. Um, Number one, define wants versus needs. Oh my gosh, that's so good. (laughs) (laughs) So especially in our American culture, we look at everything as needs when we may not really need these things. There is so much that we live with in our world and our culture that other people live without, you know, in other developing countries. And so I would say 
like we talked about earlier, and I'm looking at my manicure right now, <laughs> is it wrong to get manicures to pay for that? No, it's not wrong. But if you're struggling financially, if you every single month are looking at your bills and you are financially frustrated, that's one of those things where it's like, okay, this isn't a need, this is a want. And if you're struggling with overspending, what I really encourage you to do is to track your spending, every little thing for a month, just do it for a month, and then go through everything you've spent money on and divide out the wants versus the needs. And then you can start to say, okay, these are things that I can take out of my budget, either permanently or temporarily, until we have more money so that I don't feel constantly financially frustrated. But if you are, feel like your finances are spending out of control, and you don't know why, you really need to go back and define those wants versus the needs. That's good. That's really, really good. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, um, gosh, I remember learning that lesson from my grandpa when I was like eight and I was like, oh, I need this. And he was like, no, <laughs> you don't need that. I think it was like a skirt mm-hmm. or something. He's like, you want that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to teach the same thing to my kids. But I think that that's good, even as an adult, to go back and go through our finances Mm-hmm. So that would be a great tip. So what about some things that you, you do want, but you want mm-hmm. them so bad it feels like a need? Maybe mm-hmm. if you just need that little fun in your life or a little bit of a break. Do you recommend giving like a spending budget or? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's my next tip. Give yourself fun money. Some people call it mad money. But if you have enough money to live on, if you don't have an income problem, if at all possible, give yourself fun money each month. So my husband and I have a monthly budget and each month he has a certain amount that he can spend on anything he wants. So for him, he'll often, he loves to go like see superhero movies or whatever with a friend. You know, I don't like movies like that and I don't like to spend the money on movie tickets. So he'll spend his fun money on something like that or, you know, or maybe it's going out to eat with a friend or maybe it is getting a manicure or pedicure. For me, it might be a new cookbook. So give yourself that breathing room, that margin to be able to spend whatever amount you, you set in your budget on whatever you want it to be. So that way, you know, if you're just, you know, driving along one day and you think, oh man, I could really just use this right now in my life. You know, this helps me to de-stress. You know, maybe it is that manicure, pedicure, maybe it's a massage. Instead of feeling guilty about it, say, oh wait, I've got this amount of my fun money budget. I can just go get that massage and not feel guilty because my husband and I have a lot of money towards that and it's fine. Now, one thing um, and something that people have found curious when they read my book, when they read my book is that um, my husband and I decided together because he is a spender and I'm a saver that we would give him 50% more fun money than than we give me. And it's not one of those things. And it was actually, I think my idea because I don't like to spend the money. (laughs) I've actually learned how to like it more, but you know, I did enjoy that manicure the other day, (laughs) but for us, it helps him not to overspend. And for me, sometimes that fun money will accumulate. And so I actually felt, feel better giving me less fun money because I don't want 50% more of that in the budget anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And for my husband, like he will go months without spending something, but then when he does want to spend money on something, it's usually like something that's like 
a couple hundred dollars where for me, my fun money is like a latte, you know, right. but I want right. it like three times a week where, you know, for him, it's a little bit different, but I could definitely see how that can help to really be able to also feed that need for him to squirrel away the fun money, mm-hmm. you know, so it kind of itches that scratch as well. Exactly. So you have to decide together what it may be, and you may not want to do the whole 50% more thing for the spender, but having that fun money really helps you to not overspend. Oh, that's a great tip. Um, The next thing is to wait before buying. So, you know, you might be in the store and you might see like this dress that you really, really want, and it might be pricey. It might be close to being out of your budget. I would say go home and sleep on it. And you can give yourself however long you deem that would be necessary for you. It could even be a day. Maybe it's a week. But just wait, especially if you don't know, you know, is the money really there? Nine times out of ten, if you wait, you're going to know, do I really want that item? Because sometimes in the moment, you, you know, maybe you're just super stressed out when you're shopping. And you might buy something and then later regret it. So waiting before you buy is a key to curb that overspending. That one is so hard, Erin. Honestly, like (laughs) I can tell you so many times where I'm like, dang it, I wish I would have bought that. And I was talking about this actually just uh, this weekend with my mom because they came to visit and, and she's like an amazing shopper. Like she is an impressive, I mean, like with the way that she spends money, like it's incredible. But like, it's almost like an Olympic sport for her shopping. But um, one of the things that we were talking about is my mom and my dad have now code words because there are things that she's like, Ooh, I want that. And then she'll buy it and then she'll never wear it or whatever. And then that causes frustration between their marriage. But Mm. now if she says, I really, 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 really want it, then Mm. he's like, okay, buy it because otherwise you'll be frustrated that you didn't. But it makes her have to really think in her head, do I want it? Or do I really, 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 really want it? And so that like code word between the two of them has helped her kind of process that a little bit more than just, Ooh, this is cute. I want to buy it now. Do I really, 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 really want it now? Yeah. And sometimes we can struggle with when we, we think we want something in the moment and then we bring it home and like, let's say it's an article of clothing and then we get home and we realize I didn't really want this or need this as much as I thought I did. And then it sits in your closet and you don't wear it. And then you start to feel guilty about it. And then you never want to get rid of it. So then it creates clutter in your home. And it can be just one of those things. that's like a domino effect and it just produces, um, you know, guilt that you really don't need to have, you know, and if you can wait before buying, you never have to go through that domino effect of having this guilt, you know, of of buying something that you really didn't want or need. Yeah, that's so good. And I know that's one of your tips too, is asking yourself if you really need it. Yes. Yes. And, And I know like, it's easy to think about that with clothes or with other things, but talk to us a little bit how you can really use that question with all overspending. So ask yourself, do I really need this when, you know, when you're in the store or, you know, like when you, you know, want to go get that, that manicure, pedicure, whatever that, (laughs) that latte, you know, sometimes I might really need a cup of coffee right now and I'm out in public and I am so tired because I've been up with baby at night and I'm just going to be a grouch for the rest of the day. I might really need that latte in that moment. And if you have it in your fun money, it doesn't matter if you need it because go and buy it. It's in your fun money. But there are other times where 
maybe it is just that emotional tug and you don't need something. And so when you are tempted to overspend, ask yourself, do I really need this? And if you could just train your mind to always be asking that question. And I know you said things besides clothes. I think it is really tempting with clothes though. And like even clothes with my kids. And for me, I struggle more with like that really good deal. Okay. So, or it could even be like, um, you know, furniture, you know, maybe you're out shopping and there's like this cute little trendy chair and you're like, oh, that's awesome. And it's 50% off and um, it's so cute. Okay. Ask yourself. Do I really need this? Where would it go in my home? Am I going to have to completely rearrange, you know, this room? Am I going to have to get rid of stuff? Is it going to create more stress in my life to buy this because I really don't need it? You know, um, again, it's one of those things like it's not wrong to spend money that you have, but asking yourself if you really need something when you already struggle with overspending can be key to curbing that overspending. That's good. That's really good. And I know you talk a lot about triggers as well. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about kind of um, spending being an emotional response. So talk a little bit with us about triggers and how we can really rein those in to control our spending. Mm -hmm. So I think everyone has different triggers if they struggle with spending or maybe if they don't even struggle with it a whole lot. So um, for example, my friend Lauren Grootman, she's the author of the book, The Recovering Spender. And she has written openly about how her trigger is Target that she struggles a lot with spending and she actually cannot go into a target alone because she will end up in target and she will overspend things in target just because she loves them. And so she's learned in her life, she has to set up a boundary and she has to have somebody go with her to target. And it's one of those things people might say, people that don't struggle with that might say, well, that's crazy, but I really respect her that she's recognized that in her life. And she's put those boundaries around her to avoid that. Again, if you are in a season of financial frustration, if every month you get the bills and you're like, I just, I just don't know how to do my way out of this, but you have a habit of buying a latte every day of the week, you may have to tell yourself, I've got to avoid Starbucks. And it may be so extreme that you have to avoid like passing the Starbucks and you may need to take a different route to work, I was you just know, thinking that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a trigger and it doesn't mean you can never have that Starbucks. And again, I want to be really clear that like, it's not wrong to have a latte, but if you're struggling financially and you're trying to figure out a way to dig yourself out of that, then you need to look at what those triggers are and how you can avoid them at least temporarily. That's a really good tip. Yeah. I think that that's really great. I love this, Erin. So you've shared so many great tips with us already, and I know you have one more, but before you get there, let me just review some of these tips. So defining want versus need, which I think is really, really key for so many things in life. Um, give yourself some fun money, which I love your tips too, around giving the spender in the relationship, maybe a little bit more. Uh, waiting before buying, asking yourself if you really need this, avoiding triggers, even if it means me driving a different way to work. <laughs> and what's your last tip for us? So my last tip is just to stay at home. So um, instead of going shopping on the weekend, when you know you don't have the extra money to shop, again, this is when you're financially frustrated. Stay at home. And it could even be that for me, I love shopping online. And if you're a busy working mom and you don't do this, oh my goodness, you've got to do it. There's even ways to shop for groceries online now in most areas. You can even shop Walmart um, for groceries and then just go pick them up. But for me, when I shop online, it's almost like avoiding a trigger because when I go shopping, 
even grocery shopping. Somehow these items I don't have on my list can just make their way into my grocery cart. <laughs> yes, that is my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so when I shop online, it's not foolproof because you still can, you know, you obviously there's, you can browse the whole store online, but if you are disciplined, you can really avoid spending unnecessary money by staying at home and just not shopping. You know, whenever we were struggling with money on a low income and friends would invite me to go shopping, I just wouldn't go because I knew we don't have the money to spend. Like what's the point in browsing? Like most of the time when you go browse, you're going to end up buying something anyway. So if your listeners are in a season of financial frustration and you know, we could say, okay, they work in corporate, you know, you work in corporate America, mama, like there's no reason why you should be struggling, but I've learned that's not always the case. Our generation, and I don't know how old most of your listeners are, but you know, I'm 36. So most people in our generation graduated from college with a lot of debt. And then right when they entered the workforce, what happened? The recession hit. And I know that there are still people who are digging their way out of that. So even if you have a really decent income, you may be financially frustrated with student loans and other debt that you're trying to rein in and get paid off. And so these are some tips, even if you don't struggle with overspending, if you're trying to get that debt paid off so that you can have some more financial breathing room, these are things that you can employ in your life. Yeah. And I love that. And I, you know, especially speaking to that last point that you, that you mentioned, you know, whether it's a season of financial tension in your life or not, you know, there are things like for us, there's been periods of time where it wasn't necessarily like finances were tight, but we made the decision that we wanted to travel more with our kids. And so we set some goals on some places that we wanted to go. And so we needed to rein in our everyday spending so that we could spend on some of those bigger things. And right now we're saving for some property so we can build our dream home. So, you know, so right now that's kind of where we're at, right? Like we want to rein in our everyday spending. Cause I think about that, like every latte is money that I'm taking away from that bigger picture. So mm-hmm. I, you know, even if it's not, if you're listening to this and you're like, I, I'm not in that financial place, but if you have other financial goals, reigning in that small spending here and there, or even that impulse buying, if it's bigger ticket items, like it can really help you in the bigger, bigger picture. So Erin, mm-hmm. I so appreciate you coming on and sharing these tips with us. Now, one thing we do every single episode is we bring in the word of God. And I know you've already shared one verse with us, but do you have another verse that you would like to share with our listeners? I would love to share Isaiah 55 too. And it says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. And that's just a reminder that when we are tempted to overspend, to fill a void in our lives, that Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy our souls. Amen. God is so good. Everything we need is in the Bible. I tell you, people always say there's not an instruction book to life, but there is. There is. There is. It's right there. Everything there you need to know between those, those two, those pages. So Erin, thank you so much. Now your book coming out September 5th. Mm-hmm. Um, where can our listeners get that? They can get it at more than just making it.com. And um, there is going to be a study guide and some printables, like an income tracker and a spending tracker and um, a price book for um, price comparing shopping um, that are going to be included as like a little bonus bundle, downloadable bonus resources for anybody who buys the book. They also, if they're interested in learning how to spend money on groceries, I do have a free e-course right now. It's called e 
Eating Well on a Budget. They can go to eatingwellonabudget.com. And I talk about some of the tips from the book in video format. And that's completely free. It's a five-day video e-course that is delivered straight to their inbox. They can also find me at thehumbledhomemaker.com. And um, I believe that whether you're a working mom or stay-at-home mom, or if you're like me and you're a work-at-home mom, that we are all keepers of our home. You know, whether we're in our home like eight or 12 hours or 24 hours a day, or whether we're, you know, at work and then we come home, we are the keepers of our home. And so my website is not just for stay-at-home moms. So um, whatever your station is in life, know that they are welcome there and that um, I would love to get to know your listeners better and just to be able to encourage them. Beautiful. And we will link to everything in the show notes page. Erin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. You've really shared so much generous information and I personally cannot wait to dive into your book. So I encourage everyone to go out there and get it just for those free things. Like I know if you're listening to this podcast, you love those helpful tips and all of those free bonuses just really give an insight to the generous heart of Erin and everything that you're going to find within the pages of her book. So get the book. Thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jenny. I hope you have an awesome day. I hope that you enjoyed today's show and you were able to gather some of those tips that Erin shared with us so that you might be able to apply some of them in your life. And I highly encourage you to get her book, get her bonuses, and really implement some of her strategies that she has around finances. You know, inside the Life Balance course that we have inside of our Life Balance membership, a lot of life balance all in one sentence there. We really teach about diving deep into one area of your life at a time to help you reach your goals. So in partnership with Audible, you can get great books like Aaron's and other financial books when you're in that area of your life of really working towards your financial goals. So I hope that you get Aaron's book. I hope you get her bonuses and I hope you take advantage of our sponsor's special offer for you by going to audibletrial.com forward slash your life rocks. Start your free 30 day trial and get your free audiobook today. Now I hope you come back for next week where we are going to be diving into routines and systems in your life. That is our number three pillar for life balance. Number one, being Jesus. Number two, being including other people, making your world a little bit bigger. And number three, systems. So we're going to be diving into that next week. I'm super excited to dive into that topic with you. So make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss it. And until then, keep building a life that rocks. Bye.